0: Last week we started a series that uh, we are simply calling Miracles, and uh, in this series we are making the statement that we believe Jesus Christ is still firmly in the business of doing the miraculous, not just in other parts of the world, but here in our world. Not just in the lives of other people who are kind of super spiritual and elite, but in our lives as well. Not just in a time long, long ago, but in our time here and now. We believe Jesus still loves to reverse the seemingly irreversible. We believe Jesus loves to move seemingly immovable obstacles. He loves to do the impossible. Um, But We are not in this series wanting to suggest or guarantee that Jesus is going to do a particular miracle for you. He is Jesus. It's his prerogative. He's going to do what Jesus is going to do. But what we want to do in this series is ask the question, what does it look like for us to be miracle ready? What does it look like for us to be in postures and positions that best ready us for the miraculous should Jesus choose to move that way. And so we're looking at a number of miracle stories in the New Testament, and in those stories we're trying to find what was happening in the lives of the people who experienced the miraculous. What was happening in that era, in that time, in that situation that made it ripe for the miraculous? And how can we ourselves be in that position not necessarily because as you sit in this room you would say I need a miracle right now but as we see in this story maybe because somebody in your life needs a miracle and the question might be what does it look like for you to be in a position to experience even the miraculous on behalf of somebody Else, and you may not feel the need for a miracle now, but we want to ask what does it look like for us to be in position for the miraculous because surely the time will come when we will say, I need you to move an immovable Mountain. And so this morning we're going to uh, learn a little bit more what does it look like to be miracle ready as we look at a story in Luke chapter 5. So if you have a copy of the scripture, feel free to turn there. Luke chapter 5. We'll start reading at verse 17, and we're going to pause and make observations and kind of get our bearings as we work our way through the story. Uh, Again, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love to give one to you. A physical copy is our gift to you. Just head to the connection corner outside those back doors after the service and ask for a Bible. But for this morning, we're going to have the verses up here on... Uh, the screen for you to be able to follow along. Um, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 17. Um, uh, Here's what it says. One day, Jesus was teaching. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So the story opens up and immediately we're introduced to some tension. Jesus is in the town of Capernaum in a house teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, again, Luke doesn't give us the detail about the name of the town, but we we learn from Mark's account that Jesus was in Capernaum, and we're going to plagiarize Mark a couple of other times just to borrow some details for this retelling of the story. But Jesus is in this house, and it is pure chaos. It is standing room only the place is packed, and of particular interest to Luke is a group of the eyepiece um, some elite special guests who have managed to score themselves some front row seating um, in the house. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are here. Um, These guys are the most powerful, the most influential um, leaders and experts in the world when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the law of God. And they've come to get a glimpse of this carpenter's son who's been turning the world upside down with his special brand of weighty words and his special brand of unexplainable works. They've heard buzz about him, and they've come to check him out. Now, don't get it twisted. They're not here to cheer him on and to express um, their support. Nope. Jesus has become an absolute nuisance to the religious leaders. He's become religious public enemy number one, not because he's peddling lies, but because he is gaining popularity. And as Jesus gains popularity, he is gaining some of their followership. They're watching their followers defect from them and they're starting to follow Jesus and they are losing their sense of influence and it's driving them crazy. So Luke tells us that some of these guys have traveled days to come and see Jesus and make no mistake about it they're sitting in the front row with their arms folded and their faces scowled they are just hoping that Jesus is going to make the most technical minor of mistakes so they can blow it up blow him up shut him down once and for all but men they picked the wrong guy um Luke wants us to know that Jesus wasn't just communicating with words, but he was clothed with power. Luke says, oh, by the way, it was one of those days. The power of God to heal sickness was all over Jesus. Now, Really quickly, I don't think that this is suggesting uh, that there were times when Jesus wasn't able to heal. No, Jesus is God. Jesus was God. But as you study his life and his story in the New Testament, you will find it revealed that Jesus completely submitted himself to the will and agenda and the timeline of God, his Father, In heaven, and so you hear him say things like, I don't speak on my own, and I don't do just what I want to do, I do what the Father calls and tells me to do. Meaning that there were moments in Jesus' ministry when God, His Father, would say, Okay, it is healing time, and to put it crassly, He would Put Jesus in super healing mode and healing power would just be dripping off of Jesus at certain times. And this was one of those times. The anointing and healing power of God was all over Jesus. The possibility of healing was thick in the air. And so the story starts with haters in the house and healing in The air. And then Luke shifts from the chaotic scene inside the house to a a crazy scene that's brewing outside in verse 18. It says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, let me just say, I love these dudes that we are about to meet. Now, Luke spares us this detail, but again, we borrow the information from Mark, and we learn that there were four of these men carrying a fifth friend who was paralyzed on a mat. The fantastic four, I like to call them. Now, I don't know if you have crazy people like this in your life, but get you some. We all need some insane people like this in our world. So these guys apparently hear that Jesus is in their town um, just a few blocks away, and they go all in. Um, I imagine one of them saying to the other three, like, "This, this, this is it. This is is the moment. This is the moment that, that we've been talking about. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. This is that moment that we've been praying for. This is that moment that we said, if Jesus ever comes anywhere within a day's traveling radius, we are going to get our boy to Jesus. Jesus is in town. This is it. This is the moment. Their friend's paralysis probably... Meant that he couldn't move a muscle from his neck down, which is why his life was restricted to this mat. In fact, it was likely he didn't have feeling from the neck. Down. He was completely dependent on other people to take care of him, completely dependent on other people to feed him or or to move him, or uh, completely dependent on other people to even use the restroom. But as we get to know these guys, you are going to get the very clear sense that there wasn't the slightest shadow of doubt in their minds that if they can just get their boy to Jesus, all of that would change. If we can just get him to the feet of Jesus, Jesus will make him walk again. Jesus will make him jump again. Jesus will make him dance again. Jesus will allow us to play five man pickup at the park again. Jesus will allow him to work again. If we can just get him to the feet of Jesus, Jesus will make his greatest need disappear. And this is that moment. So everyone's taking a vacation day today. And so they map out their very simple plan. You get this corner, I'll get this corner, you get the southeast corner. And, and, and the four of us, we're going to walk from here to, to the house where Jesus is. We're going to pause at Market Street to take a quick break because I know how weak you are, you know, Sylvester. And then we're going to keep going. When we get to the house, we're going to walk through the front door. We're going to drop our friend at Jesus' feet. The four of us will walk in. Jesus will do his thing, bam, bam, bam. And the five of us will walk out and it will be taken Care of and so one, two, three, who are they start to head out, and um, I think we pick up from these guys a, a a key in what it looks like for us to be miracle ready and let me just. Um, warn you ahead of time that some of the things we're going to see in this story are a little bit more challenging for us to embrace. They're a little bit more on, on the subjective side, but I trust the Spirit will do what the Spirit does and bring clarity where it's needed. But I think one of the things we learn from these guys about being miracle ready is we've got to learn to sense the moment. We've got to learn to sense the moment. There there seems to be something in this story and in many, if not most, of the miracle stories in the New Testament about seeing and sensing the moment for the miracle. And these four guys sense it. This is the moment. That's really interesting. I've read the story a number of different times. And it was just this week as I was reading it again, it occurred to me like this is kind of a depressing story when you think about it. And I'll tell you why. Because as we continue to read the story, we find out over and over again that this house is packed inside and outside. There are hundreds of people converging on this little home. It is packed, and Jesus is present, and he is clothed with the power to heal, and yet at the end of this story, only one person walks away with a miracle. Hundreds of people were there, but they missed this moment. The religious folks were there. And for them, it was a moment to critique, and it was a moment to evaluate Jesus, and it was a moment to pontificate, and it was a moment to try and be um, profound, arms folded and scowls on their faces looking for a fight and missing the miracle. I I think it's interesting that Luke starts by telling us, hey, just so you don't miss the fact, the power to heal sickness and brokenness was all over Jesus. This was one of those moments, and yet you have hundreds of people who missed it, and only one guy walked away with a miracle. And there were crowds there, and they came um, to hear Jesus say a profound thing. And many of them, interestingly, came just to watch Jesus perform a miracle, possibly for someone else. But outside the house, there's some dudes who are reading the same event, and they see The moment. Jesus is here in this house. His power is here. Our brokenness is here. This is a moment. I I would suggest that there are moments when the Spirit will uniquely let us know this is a moment. This is a moment for you, his power is resting in this place. Lean in and receive from him. And yet, hundreds of us, thousands of us in this county will go into church experiences week after week after week, and only a handful walk out of those places having experienced what Jesus was clothed to do. Because we missed the moment. We're busy evaluating. We're busy analyzing. Or we're busy daydreaming. Or we're busy, you know, checking out what Jesus might be doing in the lives of others. We are busy saying, ooh, that's a good word for you. Ooh, I know someone who needed that. And I fear week after week, we miss some of what Jesus is clothed to do because we are simply missing the moment. He is always around, but I believe that if you listen to his spirit, he will whisper, it's a moment. God's power is uniquely here to heal or to break chains or to restore. Jesus is uniquely in this place. And I believe that if some of us listen, even on a regular week like this week where you just came to kind of check church off the list, but if you listen, the Spirit might whisper, this is actually a moment. That's why your chest is burning. That's why this thought won't leave. This is a moment. As most of you know, when it was time for my wife and I to adopt, um, the Spirit whispered, This is a moment. Through a dream. Of all things. And in that dream, we believed he was whispering, I am going to do the miraculous. I am going to move mountains for you to adopt. This is a moment. Um, I feel like I've missed more moments than I have seen. But this is something I want to grow in. Which is, by the way, why we as a church will leave space and we want to create space at the end of our services so we can, as a people, get into the habit of asking the question, Spirit, is this a moment? Is there something you are whispering? Is there something pregnant in the air that you want us to receive from you? Because if there is, we, we want to lean in. We don't want to miss. We want to learn to sense and to see these moments. We don't want to let these pass. And by the way, if you're sitting and you're saying, but I don't know, how am I supposed to know if it's a moment, if it's not a moment, I'm, I don't know if I've ever experienced a moment. Um, my simple recommendation to you would be um, unfold the arms of your heart. Simply come with a posture that says, I am sitting in your presence. Because I know where two or three are gathered in your name. Jesus, you are in this house. And I want to know, is there a moment and just learning To be in that posture that says, I refuse to just rush and and start to daydream about what's next and if I can get out of here. But that there is speak if this is a moment because I don't want to miss it. I refuse to fold the arms of my heart just in case this is a moment. But I think we will seldom experience the miraculous if we don't recognize the moments. Are you listening? These dudes... They recognize this as a moment and they carry their friend to the house for his miracle. But then their plans fall apart as quickly as they came together. This place is, it's packed. They could barely see the front door, let alone get through to lay their friend at the feet of Jesus. So these guys said, Well, it was the moment. The moment has passed. A for effort. We gave it a shot, let's go home, maybe next time. No, that's not what they said. These dudes were crazy. That's what I would do. But not these guys. This, this is just insane. Next level, verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this, to, to get in the front door and lay their friend at Jesus' feet because of the crowd. Because again, the place was packed. They went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. You know, one of my favorite things um, about this verse is how nonchalant, matter of fact, Luke writes it. No emotion, no shock, no concern, just facts. Yeah, so um, they couldn't get through the front door, so, well, naturally, duh, they um, broke through the roof. Mm, it's what anyone would do. I was like, no, this is not what anyone would do. This is insane. These dudes are crazy. Obviously not too acquainted uh, with a you know, a cutesy saying, well, well, it's the thought that counts. They move right on to plan B. And by plan B, I mean a.k.a. plan B and E. There is a breaking and entering situation that is brewing here in the Bible. Um, in this context... Um, these houses would have had some dicey stairs on the outside of the house leading up to um, the, the roof. And uh, the Fantastic Four, this is what cracks me up too. They unanimously decide it's a good idea to scale these steps at someone else's house, carrying a grown man on the mat. In fact, it's all five of them. Because their friend may have been paralyzed, but he could speak. And none of the five of them think to say, like, I don't know, guys. This may not be a great idea. Um, This is just hilarious to me. No, they're like, nope, if we get arrested, fine. If we get fined, fine. How worth it will it be when we see our friend walking again? So they get to the roof and uh, they lower their friend through the tiles. Come on, Luke, this is so funny. Like they just moved some tiles off to the side and no, 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 no. They had to dig and scratch and claw and dig some more to get through a layer of clay on that roof. And then when they had got through the layer of clay, then they found some straw You could consider them tiles, but it's just a layer of straw that they had to move out of the way at someone else's house. This would have taken a while. This would have been not too subtle, by the way. And this would have interrupted Jesus' whole teaching situation where Jesus is like, Thy will be done. Thy kingdom (laughs) come. Stuff would have started to fall out of the sky. I imagine the owner of the house is freaking out. What are you doing? Somebody stop them. Call the cops. It is absolute pandemonium. And they're over there just looking down all super cheeky and sweaty with anticipation. And they just keep clawing until they make a hole big enough to let a grown man down. And I'm guessing they were also scantily clad on account of the fact that they didn't come with ropes. They had to use articles of clothing to lower their boy down into the room. So here they are, shirtless and full of anticipation, just looking down at Jesus, talking about to the left, to the left, and then eventually they manage to land their boy right in front of Jesus. They're just smiling. Sup, <laughs> <What's> Jesus? <laughs> oh, the Bible is such a great book. Um. And their insanity, I think, continues to teach us about being miracle ready. Because it's not just about sensing the moment, it's about making a move. It's about making the move. Sometimes uh, the spirit won't just stir. Us about a moment. He will stir us about a move that we are required to make to get positioned for the miraculous. This is huge. And this is huge particularly because it's not usually going to be as easy as walking through the front door. And I, I wonder and I believe that many a miracle is missed because we may have sensed the moment, but we refuse to make the move to meet Jesus in the moment for the miraculous. These guys... Uh, they thought the move was, hey, we're going you know, to walk through the front door. But that wasn't the move. The move the Spirit had for them was, no, 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 you're going to actually scale the side of a house. And you're going to get up on the roof. And many of us, if we are honest, would say, nope, I'm going home. mm mm in on the miracle if it's a ding dong and Jesus opens the door and hands me the miracle then yes but the move if it starts to get dicey to go to the roof people are going to see us people are going to judge us this is going to be a risky proposition well I prayed about it And nothing changed, so I went home. Now let me say, when it comes to the miraculous, we all ought to start by going to the front door. Don't come to my house and start on the roof. No, you start with prayer, of course. But I'm telling you, there are going to be times when the Spirit whispers, prayer is awesome, but that's not the move. The front door is great, but that's not the move. And I'm just asking, what if your miracle is on the roof? Would you make that move with everybody watching while this thing unfolds? And you look a little bit shady too, because no one understands why you're wearing one shoe. You just look crazy. Because sometimes it's not that there isn't a miracle available for you, it's that it requires you to make a move that meets Jesus in greater faith and it will not be comfortable. A move you might not make in your right mind. In fact, a move you might not make if you don't have at least a couple of crazy friends in your life. Or you're like, yeah, I think the Spirit may be saying that. Um, I process this a little bit, and I'd encourage you to do the same. But just think about your favorite miracles in the Bible, and you will most likely go back and be like, oh, there's the move. There it is. I love the one where Jesus makes a bunch of wine, yeah. But there were a group of guys who had to fill these large, empty containers with water and then haul them to him. And then he turned the water (laughs) into wine. I love the story of the leper who Jesus heals. Yeah, but that's a guy who broke every cultural code and he came into the city at the risk of his own life to ambushed Jesus, and then Jesus healed him. I love the one about Peter walking on water. Yeah, and you notice he's the only one who did it because he was the only one willing to make the move. And the move was get out of the boat and step on H2O. Then you will experience the miracle of walking on water. Water. I love the one about Bartimaeus. I love that one. Yeah, that's the one where he was crying out like a crazy person and the whole crowd was telling him to shut his mouth. That's the one. That's the move, Bartimaeus. That's the move. Oh, there was a woman one time, and she had an issue of blood, and it wouldn't stop. And she was considered unclean, and yet she violated cultural code herself. And she came into the city, and she snuck through a crowd, and reached out and grabbed the side of Jesus's garment, and that was move part A. And then Jesus stopped and said, "Who touched me?" And she said, "Part B." That's the move. And whenever you see Jesus, talk to someone and say, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you whole. You are always going to notice he's speaking about some move that they made that wasn't super kosher and it wasn't super safe. Find your favorite miracle and you will find the move. And I just wonder, what might the move be for you? What might the Spirit be asking you to in this season, or what might he ask you to in future seasons to do that is risky and uncomfortable, and it will have your friends look at you and say, you are crazy, because come on, man, we want the safe miracle. And I'm like, go find one. What might that be for you? Man, the few times I've experienced the miraculous, there was a move required of me. Um, When God whispered about our adoption, for instance, and said this is a moment um, through a dream, we knew it wasn't just a moment, but it was going to require a move. And um, one of the moves we knew we were called to was to start selling our stuff to make room financially for the adoption. That was crazy. Why? Because that was exactly the same time the Haitian government was telling us this is impossible. This kid's not adoptable. And then the whispers will keep, yeah, great, sell more stuff. So wait, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're making room. We're just, you know, getting rid of some stuff for an adoption. Oh, great. So you guys, uh, things are moving forward? No, they're not, not at all. In fact, we're being told it is not a possibility. Wait a minute. So (laughs) you are sowing into an impossibility. Yeah, that feels like the move that we've been called to. I can still remember as a 17-year-old, and some of you have heard this story, when the spirit whispered, um, hey, I am going to miraculously make it possible for you to go to school in the United States, but uh, my parents make an annual combined salary of $2,000. We can't afford an airplane ticket, let alone college tuition. And so I, I, the move, I had to go share this with my family, and my family laughed, like, ha, 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 just like that. Um, and um, and then something happened where the Spirit stirred in my dad. This is a moment. And my dad was willing to say, then we'll make the move. And he, you know, man, borrowed a year's worth of his salary to put me on a plane and send me to the United States. Here's what I want you to know. Personally and biblically. It wasn't until after we made the move that we saw the miracle never before. Read the stories. It was never before. And I think it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 that's enough. He let them carry through. Like Jesus, you can see what they're doing. Yeah, 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 this is good. Keep, keep moving. Keep moving. And he let them see it through. And I think for some of us, we want to experience the miraculous, but we think the miraculous is always Jesus moving all the way to us. But if you read the stories, it's about people moving and meeting Jesus as they move. It's about people moving and meeting Jesus after they move and starting to experience the miraculous. What move may be holding up your miracle? What might he be calling you to do because yeah you talk about wanting a miraculously restored relationship and the spirit might be whispering okay then um you need to ask forgiveness from the person that you've refused to forgive what yeah you need to ask for forgiveness for the sliver that was your responsibility even though the lion's share was theirs you're kidding me that's the move where you want to see a restored marriage, great, here's the move. Tell somebody in your small group how your marriage really is. Mm-mm. No, I don't want anyone to know our marriage is on a mat. I want everyone to think our marriage is mobile. So do the, mirac- do the miraculous, Lord. Here's the move for you. I I want to experience freedom from from self-harm. Show someone your scars. Mm. I I don't know. I, I want to experience healing in my body. Great. Share your prognosis with people. In fact, post your prognosis. Are you kidding me? I don't want that kind of attention. I don't want people to pity me. I don't want anyone to know. I'm praying for a closet healing. I want you to post your prognosis. Can you imagine if Jesus said that to you? I'll meet you on Facebook. Jesus on Facebook? Maybe that's a bad example, but um, and for some of us, the whisper may be stop talking about your prognosis. For the next three months, do not bring it up with Anybody. That's the move for you. I want freedom from this addiction. I want freedom from these chains. What if the move is Jesus tells you, great, I will meet you at rehab. Check yourself in. Then people will know. I know. They'll see you climbing up the roof. Share your struggle with your roommate. No! I'm wondering what might the move be that is holding up the miracle for you. I want to see salvation in my boss's life. That's great, and you've been praying for her. That's an awesome front door, but you might need to climb up the side of the house and just ask her, do you know Jesus? No, she says she hates any conversation about religion. So no, I can't do that. That's the move. I feel like I'm losing my kids, and I feel like my kids are spiraling. Great, quit your job. And then do what? That's the move. I'll meet you there. That's what. I I wonder how many of us may miss the miraculous, not just because we missed the moment, but because we refuse to lean in to the move. I want this anxiety to go away, but it's not going away. Here's the move. Turn yourself in to the authorities. You know what you did, and you've been hiding it for years. I will meet you at the police station with a miraculous. No. Okay. Come on. How much do you really want the miracle? I want it as long as it's delivered to me. Amazon Prime. In my house. All right. See how that works out. And it's funny to me as I sit here, because I just believe the Spirit is whispering to some of you, that's the move. And you are like, no! Banish the thought, devil! No, that's not the devil. That's the move. And then, the moment they came for. Check it out, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, what faith? All of this nonsense is what he calls their faith. The move. When Jesus saw that, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And that's the miracle. That, that's, that's the, make no mistake about it, this is the peak of the story. When I read that, I'm like, wait, what? Your sins are forgiven? Where did that even come from? You know, if I'm them, I'm like, we just scaled the side of a house and we lowered our friend on a mat right in front of you, Jesus. You might need to get your eyes checked because if you read all of the signs, they are letting you in on the fact that what we came for, was healing what this guy needs the most is healing but sometimes the miracle you want most is not the miracle you need the most jesus says your sins are forgiven Jesus tells this guy, every one of the 613 laws of God you have ever broken, in this moment, on this floor, forgiven. Every wrong thought and deed you've ever committed, pardoned. Every ounce of punishment that you deserved for your sin has been lifted. You will never experience a drop of God's wrath. You have been forgiven. Everything that stood between you and God has been removed. Two minutes ago, you were an eternal enemy of God, and now I am telling you God calls you his friend. Two minutes ago, your eternal destiny was hell. And yet in this moment, your eternal destiny has been forever changed. Yours is paradise with me forever and ever and ever. Your sins are forgiven. And I'm telling you, if this guy understood what Jesus was saying to him on that floor, I can imagine him kind of looking up and cueing his friends like, let's go. I got so much more than I could possibly have bargained for. I came for a temporary fix in my body, and he has healed my eternal condition. Let's go, boys. If he understood what Jesus had done. And in this moment... Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I see perfectly clearly. If you saw clearly, you would know your greatest need was never healing. It was always forgiveness. You would know that what's been keeping you from living fully is not the mat on the floor, it's the sin in your heart. What's most broken in you is not your spine, it's your soul. And in this moment, I have healed it all. You have been forgiven. And Jesus is making this powerful declaration that the miracle. We need the most is the forgiveness of our sin. And because of their faith, Jesus offers that to this guy. Your biggest need was always forgiveness. And forgiveness is the greatest miracle I could possibly perform for you. Your, fra- your sins are Forgiven. I honestly wonder um, if many, if not most of us, aren't living with the greatest miracle this morning, and we take it for granted like it's not an impressive thing, and we take communion like it's just another thing. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it means he has spoken those words over you. Your eternal destiny has been changed. God calls you friend. Your sins have been forgiven. Your eternal fate has been sealed, which means if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you own the world's greatest miracle, the forgiveness of your sins. And I'm just telling you, that if we are not floored by Jesus' best work in the forgiving of our sins, we are not ready for a lesser miracle. And that's my concern. Is Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and we're like, that's all right, but how about my hangnail, though? Fix that. And I think as a church, we've taken so for granted the forgiveness of our sins that we've missed the fact that he has already given us the greatest miracle and we are carrying the greatest miracle in our lives. And then there's some of us who've maybe never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and and we're convinced that what we really need is some other miracle in our body or in our relationships. And here's what the Bible is going to tell you. If you don't hear the words, friend, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter what he does in your body. It doesn't matter what he does in your relationship. Ultimately, those things won't matter if your obstacle between you and God is not removed. There is something powerful about this moment when Jesus Says to this guy, your sins are forgiven. Now, apparently, the people are a little bit skeptical, um, like I tend to be. Verse 21 says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, uh, "Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone?" They would have a no beef if Jesus healed. But. You can't forgive sins. Are you saying you're God? Verse twenty-two. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, "Why are you thinking these things in your hearts?" Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, "Get up and walk." This is a trick question, by the way, to which most of the people there would have said, "It's it's it's a." It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, and I think the church lives that way. Like, oh, forgiveness, that's easy. Do something trickier, Jesus. And Jesus asked the question, which do you think is more impressive? Which do you think is easier? It's easy to say your sins are forgiven, because you can just say that. No one can go into heaven and check the records to make sure it's true, and so there's no way to prove it. But if you heal somebody, or if you say you are healed, now... We have the evidence in front of us and we can prove it. And because we can see it, it's more impressive because then it's like wow and bang and everyone is going to be impressed. But as it stands, this guy's still sitting here <laughs> and he's not been healed. And I love what Jesus says. He says, Okay, um, I want you to know that I am. The Son of Man, with the authority on earth to forgive sins. So I'm gonna heal this guy. But you need to know, you are wrong. Forgiving his sins is harder by far. I'm about to heal him by simply speaking the words. But to forgive him, I'm going to have to die on a cross. I can heal your marriage by speaking the word, but to forgive you, that is a long night of suffering on a cross. Believe me when I tell you, forgiveness is my greatest miracle. Then he says, so he said to the paralyzed man, bada bing, bada boom. I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. That's it. That's all he says. Immediately, this guy stood up. No therapy. Uh, He he didn't practice walking. He just knew how to walk because when Jesus says the words, the greatest obstacles can be removed. Took what he had been lying on, and I love that. He carried the thing that had been carrying him for years, and he went home praising God after, of course, taking his crazy friends out of there. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And I wonder if Jesus' heart wasn't broken a little bit. He said, you missed the most remarkable thing. Y'all want me to perform and do the miraculous, but you are losing sight of what's killing this city is not the broken bodies. It is soul separated from God. That's the greatest miracle. But Jesus performs the mini-miracle anyway, we shall call it, with three simple instructions. His boys are like, I told you, I told you, told you, and then they go play pickup at the park or whatever they did after that. But this is such a powerful reminder that there is nothing broken in your world that Jesus cannot fully restore with a word. There is nothing happening in your world or the world of your loved ones, that Jesus cannot turn on its head in a moment. Healing your body is not difficult for Jesus. This is easy for him. But something powerful, I think, is shouted through his words. If I am willing to die on a cross to forgive you of your sin, don't you believe that I am willing to heal your body. There is something I think when we start to embrace the power and the beauty of the miracle of forgiveness, because the miracle of forgiveness is Jesus saying, I will suffer and die and I'll rise from the dead in order to forgive you. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that should amplify your faith. If you are willing to die for my forgiveness, what wouldn't you do for me? And that starts to influence the faith with which you come to Jesus. And I love that Romans says this. Well, if he was willing not to spare his son, don't you think he's going to give you all other things? That's the mini miracle. He's already given you the miracle. The rest are just mini miracles. And I love this because it also reminds me, and if Jesus says no to healing certain broken places in my body, it's not because he doesn't care for me. He's already given me the greatest miracle. He must have something better that I just don't know yet. So spirit, whisper what this moment is inviting me into. But I love the power of forgiveness communicated in Jesus miracle here. And again, I don't know where you are this morning. Um, I want to take like 20 seconds for all of us in the room to just sit, if we're willing, and ask the Spirit, what are you whispering to me? What miracle do I need to believe For and for some of us, it's forgiveness. You don't know that your sins have been forgiven, and I'm telling you, Jesus is in the house and He's always covered in grace, and He's willing to forgive you of every sin you have ever committed if you simply in faith reach out and say, Forgive me. And maybe that's what the Spirit is asking you to do, and maybe He's asking you to tell somebody, I've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, that's my move, and I need to let you know that maybe for some of you it's healing or restoration in a relationship or in your body or in the life of somebody else that you want to see him do the miraculous what's the move what is the spirit whispering to you for some of you it's a moment for something else that if you're listening you know what he's telling you that he's inviting you into we just want to take a quick moment To listen and to be willing to make the move, whatever it is. And for some of us, honestly, it is simply to tell him, Jesus, I am sorry, I have lost sight of the miracle of your forgiveness. Because no matter what else happens tomorrow morning, I am still forgiven. And if nothing else gets fixed in my life, I am still forgiven the greatest obstacle has been removed. Forgive me for the ways I've lost sight of that running after many miracles. I don't know what it's whispering, but we'll take just a couple of moments and then I'll close us in prayer and then we'll be dismissed to make whatever move he's calling us to make. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Help us to revel in it and help your forgiveness to stir in us a faith of how much you love us and how much you're willing to do. Spirit, I pray that you would whisper in our hearts what this moment may be calling us to. We pray that you would whisper in our hearts what move you may be calling us to make, and then I pray that you would unleash courage in this room for us to be willing to scale houses or mountains or whatever it is that you're calling us to do to step into your best and to step into position for what you want to do. But I pray that you'd be so gracious not to allow us to just ignore and move on. So give us the courage to sense the moments and to be willing to make the move, not just today, but as we continue to live in you. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.